idea that we're not just here to make converts. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. So you can see our scripture up there. This is part of our harvest vision. This is one of the reasons, it is actually the reason why we're becoming uh, an independent church. We'll continue to be a part of the Oak Hills family. Uh, we're just getting married and moving off and starting a new life, but we're still family. And so it's like your kids that get married and move off, they're still family, still show up. That's what family does. But so we'll be a family of churches, yet we will be independent on our own and able to run and really focus more on our context here. So I'm excited about it. And this is what really uh, precipitated that. Acts 1-8 is our, our basic vision there, but you will receive power, dunamis. We're going to talk a little more about that tonight. Uh, dynamite, force, and literally powerful working miracles is what one of, the, one of the definitions. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We've talked a lot about that scripture. We'll, we'll go a little bit on that tonight. Our 4D approach to that is very simple. We want to discover. Discover who we are in Christ. Discover our identity. Discover the call on our lives, the mission, the vision. And then we want to develop that. That's the discipleship component as we grow and develop. But then deploy means we don't keep it to ourselves. We don't ever be an us for no more kind of church where we're saying, hey, that's great. We just got our little family here. No, it's it's actually, we had 474 last week. It's, it's deploying 474 people out into the community where they live, work, and play to reach people with the gospel and live a compelling life that causes people to ask questions. And so that deploy piece is that. It's sending out. We don't come to church. We are the church. Amen? So we're the church 24-7 out there where we live. We come here for training, equipping, motivation, inspiration, fellowship, worship, prayer. But yet our whole mission in life is not here. It's out there. We call it outside the box. And then the last piece was Russ Hearn. Thank you very much for adding this one. Russ actually added this one. Our mission is also to disrupt because transformation and change never happens by accident. It's the disruptive nature of Jesus. He, he is a lamb, right? But he's also a lion. <laughs> a lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one who showed up and turned over the temples, I mean the tables in the temple the, where they were money changing. He's the one who called out the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's the one who, who brought disruption wherever he went. In fact, in some places where he showed up and miracles happened, it was so disruptive that people said, please leave us. Please leave. It's like, wow, but you're actually working the works of God. Please leave. And so, uh, so the disruptive nature of Jesus isn't rebellious. Don't, don't misunderstand. That's not a negative word. That's actually, in our context, a positive word. But I'm hoping that that will continue to be... Um, maybe a conversation starter as we talk about vision. So anyway, always like to bring that up and just give you that little 4D flyover. Let's go to the next slide, Russ, if you would. Uh, Purple Book, Chapter 4, is what we're going to be talking about tonight. This is a quote by Alan Hirsch. We're going to be talking tonight about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's really interesting how that gets so marginalized in various churches and denominations, part, mostly out of fear and a lot out of misunderstanding and really a lot of bad theology. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. We've already talked about that 
at at length here this year. So we're not going to go just super deep like we did before. We'll give it a little bit of a cursory flyover. But again, we're training you how to use the Purple Book to uh, disciple and minister to people. So we won't go as deep as we have in the past on that. But I still think it's important that we continue to learn and grow and talk about what that means. So here it is. Alan Hirsch, love this. He says, a key to the health, the maintenance, the extension, and the growth of the church is not more evangelism, but more discipleship. So it's interesting how, again, I mentioned how we tend to focus on evangelism, and yet Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 28, go therefore and make converts, right? No, go therefore and make disciples. And it's precipitated by the idea of this. Here's an interesting thought, pre-evangelism. I don't know about you, but before I became a follower of Jesus at the age of 19, there was a lot of discipleship that happened in my life before I ever got there. There were people who talked to me about Jesus. My granny, thank the Lord. No, this is my nanny on my dad's side. Thank the Lord she took me to vacation Bible school as a kid. What was that? It was pre-evangelism. The seed was being planted in my life. Discipleship was happening. I was discipled to Jesus. And then I was led to Christ, stepped over the line, in evangelism and through evangelism, and then I continue to be discipled after, so it's pre-discipleship, it's pre, pre-faith, pre-all of that, the discipleship was happening in my life. I don't know about your story, but more than likely, in most of our stories, there was probably some things that happened along in your journey in life that began to point you to Christ, and things that you may or may not have been learning, either intentionally or unintentionally, the Lord had you on a path, Amen. Aren't we thankful he has a path and a plan? Praise God. I love the fact that he knows the plans he has for us. Plans for a future and a hope, and I love that. So a key to the health, maintenance, extension, growth of the church is not more evangelism, because sometimes we think that we just got to win more people to Jesus. Let's go win souls. I'm like, that's great. Let's make disciples. And if we'll make disciples, the disciples will make disciples. And they will win souls as they go and as their lives are compelling enough, because what does a witness do? answers the questions in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, remember the other side of the track, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. So that's, that's all wrapped up into this idea of discipleship. So we're going to be in chapter four, the lesson, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that it doesn't say baptism with the Holy Spirit. It's actually literally baptism in and we'll talk about that, just the word baptizo, baptizomai, with that. So, number one, if you do have your purple book, and this is what we're doing, we're on this journey through it. In number one, under lesson four, we covered uh, the person and work of the Holy Spirit last week. We'll talk about this tonight. But so, it's chapter four, lesson four, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, an important word there. What did John the Baptist, well, let's pray as we get started. I haven't even prayed, but we're pre-blessed, but we'll pray anyway. Father, we honor you, and we come before you as sons and daughters, and we open our hearts to you. We open our lives to you. We also open our minds, Lord, and ask that you would take and sanctify our thoughts, sanctify our minds. And Father, may we come before you and offer up our preconceptions to say we're here to learn, Lord. We're here to grow. We're here to be expanded. We're here to see our capacity increased. We're here as not only sons and daughters and family, we're here as disciples of Jesus. And so, Father, I'm asking as a favor, Holy Spirit, would you be the spirit of truth who leads us and guides us into all truth tonight? Would you open our eyes that we may see 
Would you open our ears that we may hear? And would you open our hearts that we may know the truth that makes us free? Father, we thank you for John eight thirty six. Jesus, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. So that's our heart, Lord, to walk in freedom and to walk in, in this life-giving expression that compels a world to say, what is it about you? Why are you so different? How can you live up in a down world? That's our heart, Lord. And we just, as witnesses, answer the questions. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. So thank you, Father, for the, not only the Spirit-filled life, but the Spirit-empowered life. We honor you in tonight's study. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. All right, Matthew 3.11, if you have your Bibles, we are going to have it up on the screen. I'm using the New King James tonight. I jokingly call that the corrected King James, but it's a joke. So uh, that was a seminary joke. So um, I love the New King James. It came out in the early 80s. It's one of, it takes kind of the classic feel of the Elizabethan English of the authorized version and sort of packages it just a little bit, but it also polishes up some of the, some of the grammatical issues that we saw in the authorized version. So I like it. I just like the flow of it. So it's a little bit old, a little bit of new. Uh, it's a good translation if, if you like it. We're going to use that tonight. What did John the Baptist promise Jesus would do? Matthew three eleven. Listen to this. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Remember, this is, this is John the Baptist speaking, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And look what he says that Jesus will do. This is one of his roles. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's interesting because a lot of times we see metaphors throughout the scripture, one being water, right? The river, a river bubbling out of your belly, the river of life, the, the river. We saw it in Ezekiel 33. We saw it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Rivers of life come flowing out of you. Rivers of living water. So we see metaphors of the Spirit uh, as water, but also he mentions fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Let's talk a brief second. We've covered this before. I'm going to say it again. Baptize, baptizomai, baptizo, depending on what form you're looking at. It literally means to be immersed into. The picture of, if you're looking out over the Mediterranean Sea from the Haifa Bay in Israel, and there's a ship out there, and it sinks. That ship just went baptizomai. It just got immersed. It means to be covered over or even overwhelmed by. So those are all the same, all part of the same definition. So when we talk about water baptism, what do we say? We're being what? We're being immersed, right? We're being baptized. People get real hung up on the form of that. Uh, I, it depends on the situation, but 99 out of 100 times, we're going to immerse. We have a little issue with our really difficult to get into baptistry. And we've had a couple of times where we did, I call it a pour over, but the, all, the whole idea of that is, is being overwhelmed, covered by, immersed into. So when it says this right here, when John says he will immerse you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So that's the picture of going down into the water, but he also mentions fire. So another thing that we see involving the presence of God, especially in the book of Revelation, some of the apocalyptic literature, we see that in the Old Testament a lot. We see it in Isaiah's vision. We see it when the temple was dedicated at, by Solomon, David's temple. Remember that? It was, the whole place was so filled with smoke, the scripture says the priests couldn't even stand to minister. 
They were so overwhelmed with the presence of God, it, the place was filled with smoke. And it was a representation of the very presence, the very spirit of God. In the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, you see lots of references to smoke. Again, the presence of God. So this interesting, this where there's smoke, there's what? There's fire. So the fire, the presence of God, the fire of the Holy Spirit. So he will baptize you, immerse you into the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, following just through the book, if you have yours, you can look at it. Number two, how did Peter describe the Gentiles' encounter with the Holy Spirit? Now, remember in Acts chapter 2, remember Pentecost? Now, we see that the Holy Spirit gets poured out upon. We'll look at that also through our passage. The Holy Spirit gets poured out upon the Jewish people at that point. Now, that was the Jewish people being baptized, immersed into the Holy Spirit. However... It was actually in Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house when the Gentiles were brought into the empowerment of the Spirit. Now, here's the problem. We get caught up in the whole, in a lot of what we've experienced and seen uh, in terms of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need to go back to what the purpose of this is. The purpose is empowerment. He says, you're going to be my witnesses, and I'm going to give you power to do it. That's what Acts 1.8 says. You're going to be my witnesses, but I'm not going to send you out into the world without equipment, without power, without dunamis. And so he says, I'm calling you, Jesus had told them in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations. You think we can do that in our own power? We're going to need some help, and we're going to need some divine help. By the way, the word parakletos, paraclete, for the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, literally means the one called alongside to help. He is our helper. We need help to do what he's called us to do. I cannot imagine trying to live this Christian life without the helper. Another word I love in NIV, I think, uses the word counselor. Another one uses the word comforter. They're all the same. It's parakletos. It's the same. So counselor, do you need counsel? There's a counselor, right, Sherry? Do you need comfort? There's a comforter. Do you need help? There's a helper. Isn't that beautiful? So that's ours, and that's, that's ours that we get to have. So I, I just went the long rabbit trail on that one. So back to our passage here. We're going to look at Acts chapter 11, and this is sort of the rebound or the repercussions where Peter's having to explain what happened at Cornelius' house to the Gentiles. Because remember, to the Jews first and then the Greek, right? To the Jews first, so that happened in Acts 2. But look what happens when he comes to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish. Verse 15, Peter is explaining to the Jerusalem council, this is what happened. And he's going to say, basically, this is that which was spoken of. So look what happens. Verse 15, Peter speaking, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. That's not that complicated. But there's not a lot to unpack there. He's just explaining, this is what happened. He's telling them the testimony, the story. Here's what was happening. We were at Cornelius' house. I'd received a vision. I went to the house. This guy, Cornelius, non-Jewish, had also received a vision. And when we got together, this is what happened. He's explaining what happened. And the reason why he's going back to the Jerusalem council is because word had gotten back, wait a minute, these aren't Jewish people. And wait a minute, this is going to cause a ruckus here. 
This is going to be a problem. They're not even circumcised. I mean, it, just, it started a litany of issues that the first century church was having to deal with immediately, all right? And just as they've had to deal with issues, people issues, to this day, we're dealing with people issues. Can I get an amen or an oh my? Yes. So as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. All right? So he's remembering and he's saying, this is that. I remember the Lord saying that. So that would be pretty compelling, I think, to the Jerusalem Council, which is the apostles. So look what happens in verse 17. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us. Now notice the, the language here. He's referring to the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the immersion into the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a gift. Isn't that beautiful? Why would we today here reject a gift that God wants to give us? Say, Lord, it's confusing. I don't totally understand that. So therefore, I'm not going to walk by faith. I'm going to walk by sight and I don't want that gift. Because it's controversial and confusing. Here's the thing. The problem with, with how the baptism of the Holy Spirit has become vilified in the church is that it is the enemy's best attempt to marginalize the very thing we need to fulfill the calling on our lives. So if he can marginalize the very thing we need, it's almost like saying, your car needs gasoline to run on, but we're going to give you this car. Isn't it amazing? The problem is we don't have enough gas for you. So you're just going to have to admire the car. You can push the car under your own power. You can get, find a hill for it to roll down, but we're not going to give you gasoline for the car, but enjoy the car. That was, that was what it would be like. If, if this is the case, that God tells us and we read about it and we see what happens in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit fell and all of a sudden, boom, the disciples go from running away and scattering like cockroaches at the cross to becoming a force that is now taking the gospel across the world. Why? Be not because they suddenly got bold in their own selves. They understood the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The helper was upon them. So why would we... Or, or doesn't it just make sense that the enemy would remove the very thing we need that catalyzes the call on our lives? Just, if I can so make this controversial, and if I can get it weird and squirrely, if I can just get it all where, where good, solid, West Texas, Central Texas, South Texas folks, good, dignified folks would say, that's too weird, that's not easy to understand. If I can just get it marginalized then they're going to be pushing that car around all by themselves and wondering why they're sweating, wondering why nothing's working, wondering why this is so much work. If I can just get them to be afraid of the third person of the Trinity, then I will, I will have this thing. Jesus may have won at the cross, but I'm going to win for the rest of this thing by marginalizing Christians because they're going to be pushing their cars around all day long by themselves and wearing themselves out. You ever feel worn out? You ever feel like this is just work? You ever feel like you're dragging a tractor tire through, through quicksand? When I was in two-a-days in football in high school, we had to drag a tire across the football field with a rope. And I kept thinking, Coach, this is like, this is abuse. What are we doing here? It's 102 degrees in post-Texas and West Texas, and, and we're dragging these tires across the field, and they were making us stronger and stronger. It would wear, wear you flat out. 
The Lord says, my yoke is easy, my burden is what? Light. Well, not without the helper, it's not. <laughs> I don't know about you, I need help. I need help. I need power. I need to be empowered to do what God's called me and you to do. We need help. We need the helper. So he's saying, this is that. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the order. After they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice the order. Who was I that I could withstand God? He's like, he poured out on them. How could I interrupt that? How can I get in the middle and say, no, I'm sorry, you're Gentiles, you're not Jews, therefore, you know, how, he's saying, how could I, I love what he says, how could I, who was I that I could withstand God? He's just saying, there's no way, I'm not going to fight God on this. Number three, and this is continuing, this is chapter four, still lesson four. Number three, what did Jesus tell his disciples they were to do after he ascended to heaven? Okay, what did he tell them to do? Now, Luke 24, 49, it's up on the screen, says this. Behold, and remember, this is Jesus telling them, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Jesus is saying there's something coming that is going to empower you. And later we'll find out why. It was because so that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the world. He says, stay there because we're, I've got something coming that is going to give you power, endued with power. We're receiving something from outside of us, something we did not have prior. He's saying, wait for it. Terry, wait for it because I'm going to bring it. Listen to this. And number four, and being assembled together, this is Acts 1, 4, and 5. Now, we're back to pre-Pentecost outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So, we're at that. Jesus shows back up after they've been told to wait to tarry for the promise of the Father. So, they're in a waiting mode. Remember, all the disciples gathered together. Now, you got to realize, in that moment, all of Jerusalem, I mean, just to say it the way it was, all hell is breaking loose in Jerusalem politically. The Romans are coming down. They're looking for these Christians. They're looking for these followers of the way. They're trying to stamp this thing out and make examples of any of them that they find. And they're crucifying them on hills by the dozens, making martyrs of them. Just, they're and so they're waiting. These guys are just waiting, probably hiding in that upper room. Look at verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them, the disciples, not to depart from Jerusalem. Why did he have to tell them not to leave Jerusalem? Because they were probably ready to get out of Dodge. The situation was volatile. Rome's hammer was coming down on these people. Can you imagine? We hardly can, honestly, what it would be like to live under that kind of persecution. We think we're persecuted if a law doesn't get passed that we voted for. I mean, we think that's persecution. These people were dying. They were being killed publicly for their faith. And, and it's hard for us to even wrap our minds around. No condemnation there, which we just don't know that. We don't understand that. So he says, don't leave. Don't depart from Jerusalem. But to wait for the promise of the Father. He would referred to that earlier. We saw that in Luke. Remember, Luke wrote Acts. Dr. Luke, same, same author here. He's continuing this process. 
He says, you've heard, he says, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, yet here we have again a reference to what is coming. Wait, because this is coming. Why? Because you're going to need this. Okay, we'll see how that fleshes out. Now look at this in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. So we're skipping ahead. We're going to Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at some encounters that happened due to the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 8, verse 14 says this. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Really, those dirty Samaritans? Those Gentiles? They had received the word of God? Look what happens. They sent Peter and John to them, probably to investigate. Okay, what's going on? We heard this is happening. We better check this out. Verse 15, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So we see a moment here where now the apostles are praying for somebody to receive the Holy Spirit after they have received Notice it says the Word of God. We tend to think about our Bible, right? We just sort of default to that. But what they're talking about is the message of the gospel. It's the message of Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, everybody quotes it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Bible, the Word of God. Actually, it's not what that says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It literally means the message of the gospel, the message of Christ. Now, it's not a stretch to say by the word of God, but we need to be accurate. Context is king, and what that tells us and what language tells us, it's not a referral to just the Bible as we know it. It's a referral to the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Does that make sense? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the message of Christ. In other words, when you heard the gospel, it stirred faith in you to believe. Does that make sense? Through the preaching of the gospel, if you read that whole chapter, you'll see that, that, that uh, blessed are those of the feet of those who are beautiful who go and preach the good news, and then it comes to that. He's talking about the message of Jesus, the message of Christ, and that stirs faith in us to believe in Christ. That's why what the preaching of the gospel seems foolishness, like foolishness to men, but it's actually the vehicle that God's chosen for the message of Jesus to go out, and it stirs faith to believe. Steve? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I mean, why would the Lord empower us to do something that we're not capable of in the fact that we don't even know him? I mean, that didn't even make sense. So you're right. There's this order, this, this, then that, you know, the, if then. So look what happens. So they came down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, this is interesting, and there's several, there's five accounts of the Holy Spirit falling upon, coming upon believers throughout the book of Acts, and each of them have different nuances. You know what I love about that is there's no formula. If it had been a formula, we would have written a book about it, we would have categorized it, we would have formulized it, we would have programmed it, and we'd have a baptism in the Holy Spirit class program formula. Everybody come up here, steps one, two, three, four, congratulations, go win the world. Instead, huh? I know, I know we've had that. We've made it anyway, right? All right? We'll take nuances that we like and put it into a program. But here's the thing. 
Exactly. Why can't we just read the Bible and go, this is what it says, and be okay with the fact that there are various nuances to this, and that it's not about how you hold your tongue. It's not about whether you lay hands on or not. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ, whereby we position ourselves to be empowered to do what he's called us to do. It's not that complicated. Remember the KISS method? Keep it simple, saint. Let's keep this simple. We get so bogged down in the nuances. So look at this. For as yet he had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? They were water baptized. They were immersed in water. Verse 17. Then they laid hands on them and they what? They received. They received the Holy Spirit. And so we could easily go, well, then we need to make sure we do it just like this. But then in other instances, it happened different. Acts 10, Peter's preaching the word. The Holy Spirit just falls on people. No laying on of hands, no baptism in water, just the Holy Spirit in a sovereign move falls on them. Again, it's different. Why does he do it different every time? I'm so thankful he does. I think it's awesome that, the, that we are kept guessing on some things. We need to be okay with mystery and okay with not knowing the answer to everything. You better make room for mystery or you're going to live a frustrated Christian life and a joyless Christian life. We'll start with Jerry over here. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's a great, you know, we just went through the book of Acts in what, 18 months? And it took them 25 years to go through that thing. I mean, so, so we did the speed version of it. We did the highlight reel sports center. But so, so understand that these things didn't happen one after another. Boom, 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 boom. And you read it, it's easy to lapse into that thing. My gosh, it's just God moving like this. No, this is a span of time. From Pentecost, Acts 2, to Acts 8, it was about 8 to 10 years. To, to where Cornelius, where the Holy Spirit fell out on the Jews in Acts 2 at Pentecost, to Cornelius' house was about 12 years. So there was a span of time happening here. So don't think in your mind that this was just like some rush of movement. This was happening. Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. It's the history of the Apostles. It's the journey. It's the spread of Christianity throughout the new world. So, or the known world at the time. So it's a good point, Jerry. And Derek, you had something? I was thinking That's good. That's a good observation. So, so in military, when I was at in Abilene, we were a military church. We had forty-five to fifty percent of our church was Dias Air Force Base, and we had uh, Major Michael Bob Starr, who later became Colonel, and yada yada yada, who was with General Petraeus. He was his right-hand aide uh, throughout some of those tours, and he was a theater specialist. He was a military strategist, and he would sit down and talk to our staff and tell us about military strategy. And of course, we sat there like children watching a movie, going. You know, it was amazing the things he was telling us. But he talked to us about military tactics 
tactics. Confusion is one, one of the earliest tricks in the book. Keep your enemy guessing. Keep them confused. Don't broadcast on CNN, Fox News, our next move, right? We learned that the hard way, didn't we, in some of those exercises. Good, good observation. Verse 18. Look at this. Here's another one. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, remember Simon the sorcerer? He was looking for a better way. He was looking for a bigger, better deal. He's a, he's a con man. And he saw, look what happens. Look what Simon saw. When Simon the sorcerer saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. He's like, oh, I see a formula, a form. I want that form, and I want that. I want the ability to do that. So he just saw it as a carny thing, and he says, oh, I want that. He offers money, verse 19, saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Was Simon genuine, or was he seeing, was he seeing something here? <laughs> There's still folks seeing dollars, I'm just saying, you know what I mean? It's, that stuff still happens. Yeah, so the reality of it. So he's saying, give me this power also. But interesting how, again, another way through the laying on of hands in this instance, listen to this. Here's another one. Verse 44 of uh, Acts chapter 10. Again, back to Cornelius' house. We're jumping all over, but I'm showing you various examples because I want you to see there's not a formula here. And I love the fact that the, a relationship with God is dynamic in nature, not static. It's constantly moving. It's constantly moving. Why? Because it's a relationship with a living person. So look at this, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, here it is, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. They're hearing the message of Christ. They're hearing the gospel. Okay? So now we see the gospel being spoken and preached to specifically a Gentile audience. Cornelius rounds up all of his friends and families, and all of a sudden he's got a house full, and Peter shows up, and preaches the gospel to all of these Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit falls on them, verse 45, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. These are the Jews. They were there, and they're going, whoa, wait a minute. We didn't know this was going to happen. Well, I thought it was just for us. And now these dirty Gentiles... The Holy Spirit's fallen on them, and they're like, whoa, they were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. By the way, that's really good news for me. I'm a, I'm a Gentile by nature. So thank God I've been grafted in, Romans 10, grafted in, Romans 11, to the vine. But praise God for that. I'm thankful for Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 2 is awesome, but I am more grateful for Acts chapter 10. We need to be talking about Acts chapter 10 a lot. Yes. 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 So, Steve, what do we do with a gift? There you go. You receive it with gratitude, right? That's what we do. We receive it. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's not supposed to be controversial. It's not supposed to be scary. It's not supposed to make you weird. It's to make you powerful. It's to empower your witness so that when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you're, you're saying to somebody who's asking you questions about your faith, 
about your life. You're, you're empowered. And you don't even have to plan ahead of what you're going to say because he'll give you in that hour what to say. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's one of his roles. He'll give you what to say. Let me just ask a question. Have you ever been in a conversation talking about the things of God and you felt like you were being carried along or directed and that things were coming out of you and you almost felt like, where did that come from? Where you just, and suddenly you were accessing scriptures you've never intentionally memorized. Random access memory. All of a sudden, the Lord's pulling things up to you in that moment to give to that individual. Comfort, peace, joy, hope, strength, good news. And all of a sudden, you're hearing things, and they're coming up out of you, and you're going, did I just say that? Did I say that out loud? Where did that come from? It's the Spirit of God leading you into a situation. You've been empowered to deliver that word of hope and that word of life. Amen? I'm telling you, that is, you talk about joyful that is joy full. Steve. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I need, I need to take notes on that. I've said before, I got to go back and listen to that because that was good. Whatever it was just came out. That, I don't know. Hot off the press, right? Hot off the press. There are times, I, and I love to teach, and I love to preach, and part of the joy of it is that, is that there are times when you know, you just know in your knower, that something was delivered through you that was of the Father's heart. Not just something you had written in your notes, not just something that, that was printed on a page or that you read, not just a quote from Alan Hirsch, which is great, but really, God brought something fresh through you, and you knew in that moment you were a conduit of grace for people's lives. And I just live for those moments. Teachers live for the aha moment when, when the student goes, ah, oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. Well, so do preachers. We live for that moment when somebody goes, ah, that makes sense. I just connected the dots on something that's been a mystery to me. The lights come on, Derek. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. You can't take credit for that, right? Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful because that's what we do we, when we walk in humility and grace. He gets glorified. He gets honored in that. We can say, wow, thank you. Thanks for saying thanks. But I'm telling you, this is the helper. <laughs> you have to go in a lot of explanation on that. Just say, I thank you. Yeah, it really wasn't me. So that's a beautiful thing when you know that's happening. Look what's happening. While that's happening, the Holy Spirit gets poured out on the Gentiles also. It's just a beautiful moment in our history as Gentiles. Now, when Elaine's here... Our, our faithful Jewish sister, Messianic Jewish, I have to say, except you. You got it at Acts 2. You know, way to go, Elaine. So it's awesome. Verse 46, listen to Acts chapter 10. Look what it says. Now, here's an evidence. And this is where people get really tripped up. Really get tripped up over this. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. We get so tripped up on the tongues part, we forget that they were given praise to God. I mean, what's more important, having your prayer language or giving praise to God? Man, come on, it's magnifying God. But do I want to diminish what the Bible says? Oh, no. Oh, I'm not scared. I'm not a scared, we used to say. I'm not a scared because it's a beautiful thing, and yet it is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is what was happening. Unexplainable. This is a mystery. Put it in a test tube, a centrifuge, spin it out if you will, but it's not going to come out like you think it is. 
There's a mystery here. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That was an evidence, not the evidence, an evidence. People get real tripped up on this. Then Peter answered, verse 47, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He's like, look what just happened. The very same thing that happened at Pentecost just happened at Cornelius' house. We need, to, we need to do exactly what we did before. Let's just baptize these guys. Praise God. They've heard the word. They've received it. They've received the, the presence and power of God. And now let's baptize them. And then let's mobilize them. Deploy. That's our third D. Let's deploy them. And it's exactly what happens with the Gentiles here. So moving right along, there's more. So Acts chapter 19 Verses 1 and 2. Here's another one of the instances in the book of Acts where we see this baptism of the Holy Spirit, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Number 1, or verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions. Remember, we, this was one of the journeys. Uh, we're in Acts 19. This would have been one of the latter journeys. So we, we've already gone through that. We spent 18 months talking about this. So we're, again, we're back on the journey. Through the upper regions came to Ephesus. Remember, Ephesus was right there on the edge of Asia. And finding some disciples, finding some disciples, he said to them, Interesting, this is what he says. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What an interesting question. But what's really interesting is their answer. Let's look at their answer. So the answer is, if I can get my iPad to work. So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Is that an interesting answer or what? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they're going, whoa, wait a minute. What are you talking about? What, what, what is this Holy Spirit you speak of? Look what happens. This is such a beautiful moment. What I love about this is the purity of the innocence in this. No pretense. This isn't Simon the Sorcerer trying to get something. These are people who say, I don't know what you're talking about. But they had received... They had received him. We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them... Into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. What was John's baptism? It was repentance. You get the jelly bean. It was repentance. It was a baptism of repentance and water. I mean, it was, it was demonstrated through water. But it was this idea of turning from to turn to. You don't just turn away from sin and you're done. You turn away from so you can go to Jesus. So you turn away from so that you can go to. And that's what happened. So they said into John's baptism. They're just saying, they're just telling it like it is. No embellishment. Very, very plain and simple. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They're just following what the apostles are saying to do. Just do this. Okay, then we need to do this. It's a beautiful layout of, of again, purity and innocence. Then look what happens next. And when Paul had laid hands on them, remember at Cornelius' hands, or Cornelius house, no hands were laid on, right? And yet the Holy Spirit came in power, right? At, Acts, at Pentecost, did anybody get their hands laid on them? No, the Holy Spirit came in power. But here, what's happening? He's laying hands on them. So again, throw out the formula. Look at the things that it has in common, but don't make a formula or a program out of it. Just enjoy the relationship. Enjoy what he's bringing. Enjoy the gift. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. 
and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. There's another instance, but that didn't happen in every instance. So again, you can't make tongues the thing, and some people do. It's not the thing. It can be a thing, but it's not the thing. Steve. That is true. It is true. That's a good point. Let me say it louder because not everybody heard that. It is possible to be born again, but yet not have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Uh, yeah, there's whole groups of people like that pushing that car without gas and you're wearing yourself out. What breaks my heart is, a, I've been doing this 35 years, and what breaks my heart in this is when I see people that are wearing themselves out and getting nowhere. No fruit, no joy, no life. Have you ever pushed a car up a hill before? I have. I've driven some junkers in my time. I'm telling you, I was a seminary student, so I've driven some bad cars. I've, dri I've pushed my Volkswagen by myself up some hills. So, I mean, I've been there, done that. And I'm telling you, it will wear you flat out, right? Ron, pastor. You had a black falcon? <laughs> Pushing that car. Pushing that car. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's what we described on Sunday when I talked about the, the armor of God. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. And I said, what happens is some people put on the helmet of salvation and they stop there. What about the shield of faith, sword of the spirit, belt of truth, feet shot of the preparation of gospel peace, breastplate of righteousness? There's a whole piece of armor. There's a whole suit to put on, and some stop with salvation. They put on the helmet of salvation. They're like, all right, I'm safe. Then they go into war with no armor. Yeah, they stand back, kind of like those that were watching David engage Goliath. Go get him. Go get him. Go get him. It's a beautiful picture. I get this power that I didn't have before, and now I'm going to witness it to people about stuff that I'm learning as I'm going along. Yeah. So I don't know it all. Yeah. But prior to that, there was there was no battle. There was no, I wouldn't fight against anything. Now that I've stepped over the line, I've become I'm on this side with Christ. Yeah. Now the battle is to fight against the, the, the powers of the devil and the, the things of the flesh for myself. And then try to talk to someone who has not yet stepped over the line. Yeah. So it's it's a power that we don't receive. Again, we have to receive it through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And let, and let me say something, Derek, along with that, because this is just kind of going off as they're saying that. So while we receive this empowerment to, to help other people step over the line, just like we did, here's the thing. We can never become so enamored with the gifts of the Spirit that we ignore the fruit of the Spirit. 
We got to be so careful with that because if I'm trying to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and I'm taking, I've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm full of God, full of Jesus, but I'm out there railing on people and condemning people and not loving people and not being kind. Sometimes we think that the, that the fruit of the Spirit are these nice little innocuous traits. They're actually powerful. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Just think, take one of those at a time and say, if I could do one of those well for a day, I would have a great day. But think about the power of that. And the last one, number nine, the really biggie, self-control, the ability to govern oneself. And those are, but we get so enamored with the gifts and the power, we actually miss the character of the Spirit, which I believe with my heart, the fruit of the Spirit is the proof of the Spirit. If you're not walking in kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, you're not walking in love, you don't, you don't exhibit peace, and you don't, you don't have the ability to laugh in the middle of a trial, there's no Spirit there. You know what I'm saying? So I look for the evidence or the proof or the product of the Spirit. Because fruit is produce. It's a product. Steve. By their love that they have for one another. That's a fruit. That is that fruit. So that is, I mean, faith, hope, and love, these things, you know, remain and abide. But the greatest of these is what? The number one fruit of the Spirit, the number one proof, product, produce of the Spirit, that which is produced. So let's not get so enamored with power that we miss fruit. Let me bounce off what you and Derek were saying. Yeah. You used to practice the art of persuasion intensely. And I, I lived it myself. Mm-hmm. And you That's it. And I love, thank you for saying that, because in my mind I said, show up. (laughs) Show up. Be there. Be present because you carry him. And where you go, he goes. And then you're present. He's present. Here's the beauty of that. I can't talk anybody into anything. I'm not that persuasive. I'm not that smart. I'm not that brilliant. How in the world could I even think that I could talk somebody into believing Jesus? Believing in Christ. I have to know, because I know how I came to know Jesus. And it was because Steve McMeans drew a little thing up on the board. It was not artwork. It was not Van Gogh. It was not uh, Da Vinci. It was, it was a chalk talk that somehow connected the dot. Did Steve McMeans do that, Pastor Steve? No, it was Jesus, the Holy Spirit, going, this is that. And all of a sudden, it exploded inside of me, and I connected the dots between that. And I'm like, it's the bridge of Christ, which is the cross, which gets me from across that 
chasm of separation to God. And it just went off in me. That wasn't Steve. That was the presence of God opening my mind, opening my eyes, helping me connect the dot. The helper was helping. And so it wasn't Steve. And Steve would laugh if I, and I actually, for years, I used to call Steve and thank him for leading me to Christ. And he's like, I didn't really do anything. I drew this little thing on the board, but thank you. You know, he's always, thank you for saying that. But it was the gospel, the power of the gospel that drew me in. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul had laid hands on the Holy Spirit fell, they spoke with tongues, they prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So we, we see the rest of that story. Now we're going to land a plane, a couple of things. Number five, if you're following through your purple book, lesson four, number five, who does the Father give the Holy Spirit to? See, here's the thing. So if we are able to reconcile that, okay, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is legitimate for equipment for a believer who's supposed to go make disciples of all nations, right? So we, we understand that, we get that, we believe that's what the scripture says, then who is eligible for this and, and how complicated is it to get the Holy Spirit? This is one of those things, I love the Geico Caveman commercials. They're my favorite. To this day on Instagram, I'll find one of those. I'll just look them up and watch them and laugh. I love it. So simple a caveman could do it, right? And I love that guy who plays the caveman. It's hysterical. Now look at this. Luke eleven thirteen. We'll start in verse 9. This is Jesus teaching. He says, so I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. He's talking about this in the context of prayer. All right? So ask, seek. And actually, the, the construct of the language says this. So I say to you, ask, and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek, and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock, and keep on, and it will be opened to you. Remember the persistent widow? It's the same language. Knock, 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 knock. Not stopping. For everyone who asks and keeps on asking receives. We really need to unpack that because a lot of us ask and nothing happens when it must not be God's will. So we quit. We give up. He says this, for everyone who asks and keeps on asking receives, and he who seeks and keeps on seeking finds, and to him who knocks and keeps on knocking, it will be opened. Do you think the Lord's trying to get us to think about persistence in prayer? I don't know about you. Am I the only human in the room who's given up too early on a prayer project? My gosh. How many times have I quit right before the goal line? Remember the movie, A Few Good Men, where Chuck Yeager breaks the sound barrier, goes Mach 1, and finally breaks the sound barrier, sonic boom? In that movie, right before that, they call it a plane, but it was basically a rocket with little tiny wings on it. And Chuck Yeager's flying it into the atmosphere, and he's coming up on Mach 1. It had never been done before, and some thought it was impossible. They felt like, like the, the craft would break up before it would even couldn't handle that speed. And they didn't know. They'd never designed anything for that speed before. And sure enough, just before he broke through the sound barrier, he's about to hit Mach 1. And if you watch the movies, are really dramatic. But I bet it was dramatic if you were sitting in the cockpit of that thing. It starts to shake shake and it starts to actually disintegrate and fall apart and the of course in the movie you know that's got epic movie soundtrack going so you're really into it but it's shaking and his eyes are wide open and the glass on the on the gauges starts to crack and then the windshield gets a crack and you're thinking he's not going to make it he's not because if you know history he did he's not going to make it he's not going to make it. it's really exciting and then when he breaks through the sound barrier it's just smooth sailing smooth. He hits another dimension. No one had ever done it before, and now here he is, breaking the sound barrier. Why? Because he didn't quit. Every pilot who had tried it up to that point, when the, when, the, when the plane, the craft started to shake it and break up, they would back off. 
He was the only one who had the courage to keep the pedal to the metal and break through the sound barrier. Once they broke it once, it was breakable. They knew it, was, it could be done. And they adjusted, and now it's common. If you ever lived in a town that has military, you'll hear a sonic boom every once in a while. I grew up in Lubbock, and we heard them all the time. So he says, say, I, he says, for everyone who asks, receives, who seeks, finds him, knocks, it will be open. Persistence, persistence, pedal to the metal, don't give up. Now look what happens in the context of prayer. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? He's, he's asking a rhetorical question. Of course not. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Well, of course not. If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? I hope not. I killed one out here in the hallway. You didn't hear that. Just recently. I almost stepped on it. I hate those things, by the way. Verse 12. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Keep going. And look what happens. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Thank you, Jesus, for calling us evil daddies. How much more will your heavenly Father, how much more, I love those words, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's how complicated this is. He's saying, ask. He's saying, I'm a good father. You're a son. You're a daughter. Ask. We make this so complicated. We make it esoteric. We make it very mysterious. Very mystical, very esoteric means only a few elite people can actually reach it. It's just, it's for the advanced Christians. No, it's not. This is Christianity 101. This is what you need to do what you're called to do, and that is to make disciples. And it's that simple. But we want to make, make sure we get a keyboard player up here. We lower the lights. We, made, we set the stage. We got Yanni playing up there. It's just like, man, we got to create this atmosphere where the Holy Spirit won't flitter off like a little dove. I, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is not fragile. We are. He's not. He's the Spirit of God that hovered over the waters when creation happened. He's not fragile. And he's not going to be scared off if you don't hold your tongue just right or if you crack a joke in the middle of worship. I'm telling you, he can handle it. He can handle your doubt. He can handle your concerns. He can handle your worry. He can handle your questions. He is not fragile. We are. And so when I'm in worship in the presence of God, I laugh a lot. I don't go all Rodney Howard Brown, but I laugh because I'm just like, oh God, you're so amazing. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the fruit of the Spirit all around me right here and all my friends and family right here gathered together. He's not fragile. So just ask. Don't get off. Don't change your voice when you ask. Don't get dramatic. You don't have to weep. It's not weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's just saying, Lord, would you baptize me in your spirit because I want to fulfill the call of God on my life. Would you empower me to do that? That's about how deep it is. But we've turned it into something that, and I remember hearing some of the old revivalists say, oh, I had to pray for months before I got the baptism. You know, because they were trying to create this experience and this encounter instead of just saying, biblically, it says to do this. Why don't we just do this? I told a friend of mine one time when we were in Abilene and, and we had, I don't know, 70, 80 people one night. We taught on this and we all stood together and, uh, and I prayed a simple prayer and I said, if you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want you to stand to your feet. Everybody in the room stood their feet. I said, then we're just going to follow what the scripture says and we're going to ask. So we, so we asked together and we received. And I said, now just thank God for what you got. And, you know, and everybody's kind of standing around looking like, well, I don't know if anything changed. I said, well, you'll know if something changed over the next few months. 
You'll be empowered to do things you never did before. You'll share your faith with boldness and courage. The Holy Spirit will give you things to say. He'll nudge you when you're standing in line at Walmart to talk to somebody. Or you may just be kind instead of, you may, you may respond in the opposite spirit that you're used to responding in. That's the fruit of the Spirit at work in you. Things are going to change. What was happening, and then I told a friend of mine, I said, man, we had like 80 people baptized in the Holy Spirit. He said, man, that must have been crazy. I said, no, actually, it was non-dramatic at all. Because in our minds, we think it's got to be a three-ring circus, Barman Bailey's showing up, for it to be legitimate when there's nothing in the Bible about emotion, about drama, it's, or theatrics. It's just Jesus and the Word of God at work in our lives, and we just believe. We stand and believe, and we receive, and then we just say, thank you, God. And then we go out and win the world. We go out and make a difference. We go out and leak life. We go out and leak hope. We go out and leak Jesus. Everywhere we go, where we live, where we work, and where we play, we just go leak. We show up, and I say it in this way, we show up and we throw up, right? We show up and we leak this life. It comes out of us. And people say, I want to know how you do that. How do you live? You go, it's not that complicated. I follow Jesus every day. I have a relationship with him. And I, and I and I walk out this this word he he gave me he gave me this word this word's alive in me it's not that deep but we want to get all esoteric and mysterious oh there's a problem then there's a theological issue there there's a methodological issue there so if you're here tonight you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit you don't need to fasten your seatbelts. We don't need to lower the lights. Russ isn't going to come and play his guitar. Just ask. So we're going to bow our heads. I'm going to pray. And if you want that, you ask. And then, and then in your asking, just thank him. So here's a, here's a question. Is there more than one baptism? Okay. So one baptism, many fillings. Why do we need to be refilled? We're leaky vessels. That's right. Good answer. We leak. I hope we're leaking everywhere we go. Amen? So let's keep this simple. If you want that, just receive. And then as you receive, be thankful. Believe and just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for covering me. Thank you for immersing me in your spirit. Thank you for overwhelming me. Thank you for giving me your spirit, the helper, so I can be who you've called me to be. So let's not make it all deep and weird. Let's just make it life-giving and joyful. And then let's go make disciples and point people to Jesus because we're living a compelling life that's empowered. Amen? Let's pray to you. Let's all stand together. You can just stand up. Y'all been sitting a long time. We'll be dismissed. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. Thank you for scripture, Lord. We're so grateful. We're so grateful. Like the prophet, we, we saw your word and we did eat it. We just like we devour it. We're hungry for it. But Father, we're hungry for more of you. Lord, not that we don't have all of you. We already do. We want to become more aware of what we already have been given in Christ Jesus. So Lord, would you peel back layer by layer, revelation by revelation, who you are in us and who you want to be through us. And Lord, we come upon these passages in regards to the infilling, the baptism, the immersion into the Holy Spirit, the, to be overwhelmed by and Father, we ask a simple question tonight based upon your word. 
How much more does your heavenly Father want to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, Lord, we're posturing ourselves to ask. Father, I've done this many times, and even again tonight as a son, I say, Lord, cover me fresh. Renew your outpouring upon my life that I may be empowered to continue to serve you faithfully. So, Lord, I ask again. So, Lord, we come before you, and we say, Lord, fill us from within. Baptize us from without cover us. Would you do that, Lord? We're asking. Would you do that for us? Would you do that for me? So if you want to do that, just do that. You can whisper it to him. You say it to him. He hears your heart. He hears you. Father, our hearts to be empowered that we may be witnesses for you. That we will fulfill the mandate of Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. The mandate of Acts 1.8 when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, Lord, we'll be empowered. We'll receive power to be your witnesses. So would you do that even now, right now? And Father, right now, I'm just grateful because we're, we're lining up according to your word and as we're in alignment with your will and your word and your way, Father, we know that we have what we ask. So Lord, thank you for covering us. Thank you for pouring yourself out upon us. Thank you for empowering us. Father, that we may go out of this room so full that we leak everywhere we go. We leak life. We leak hope. Empower us, Lord. We receive it by faith. And Lord, we say thank you. I say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the gift, the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth. Teach us, Lord. Teach us. Guide us. Order our steps. We honor you in it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen and amen. Next week, we'll pick up in the next chapter, and we'll start chapter five next Wednesday night, same bat time, same bat channel. So see you then.